Hi, everyone. Uh, welcome back to our podcast, The Ins and Outs of Selling a Business. For those of you just joining us, my name is Keith D. I'm president of Osage Advisors. Osage Advisors, a boutique uh, merger and acquisition firm, working with business owners looking to sell. Typically, our clients have uh, $5 million in revenues and up, and we are selling, just celebrated our 21st year in business. So today we're going to continue our discussion on why deals don't close, uh, why they bust, why the, you know, where the deal killers are. Uh, and last episode we talked about you know, the main reason deals don't get done. And we kind of broke it up into you know, five sections, five buckets. We had the financial performance bucket. We had the seller remorse bucket. We had you know, time uh, is never your friend when you're trying to get a deal done. Uh, lack of transparency, mistrust between the parties, and you know maybe the management team or family uh, deficiencies in their ability to run the company without you kind of steering the ship. So as promised, I, I thought we'd give some you know real life examples uh, of how we were able to mitigate some of these risks in a way that. Um, satisfy our clients because that's the main goal is make sure they're happy uh, and also get the buyer to buy into these so they were willing to move forward with the transaction with some adjustments or some structure to it, as we call uh, and the first one really typically happens is 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 the financial performance uh, of a company um, you put together the SIM, Confidential Informa Information Memorandum, we talked about, or book, as we call it, in the trade. And the buyer makes their initial offer based on those numbers. And after meeting with you, they submit a letter of intent, and they provide an offer that kind of lays forth, here's the price, here's the terms. And once they get into deep due diligence, you know, things can happen in an environment that could cause some slippage in the numbers. For example, if they're basing their offer on $2 million of adjusted profits, uh, supported by a strong backlog, a good pipeline report, um, uh, good economic indicators in the environment, uh, then everything's great. But what happens if things slip, right? So I'll give you an example. We were working on a deal that closed uh, recently where the numbers were kind of holding up, but there's indications from a major customer that they're putting uh, some orders on pause. And it was a substantial customer. So, and it wasn't like the work was going to go away. It was a critical piece of, uh, in this case, a component but they had some backlog issues on themselves. So they're telling the supplier, okay, hold on. We're going to put a pause on this for the next, I don't know, 12, 18 months. So in, in the good spirit and faith of transparency, we called up the buyer, of course, with our client's approval and, and after a discussion and said, hey, I want you to be aware this is taking place with this customer and how are we going to work around that situation? So the way we were able to satisfy our client, which was a multiple families, and the buyer was, okay, based on where you are today, we're going to pay you X, 
And then when that contract comes back online over the next, in this case, I think it was 18 months, and you start generating profits, we'll pay you out on that. It's called earnout, right? It's a, a structured payout. So what happened was, is that we were able to get the deal done with the buyer, and our client, the president, was in this case, was staying on board through the through this earnout period. And once they were able to achieve, you know, bringing that client back online and the profits, they get the remainder of the purchase price. Now the jury's still out, of course. I mean, you got to execute. The customer has to, um, you know, bring the the work back in. If they don't bring it back in, then, you know, obviously the price that the, the buyer paid was probably reasonable. If they do bring it back in, our client gets the benefit of that. So in this case, it's a win-win. And believe me, the buyer wants that business back because it's only going to increase their value long-term. So it'll satisfy both parties. And not just one party, one buyer, one seller, but the seller had multiple family members involved with this. Everybody had a, you know, sign off on it took a lot of conversations and discussion and we kind of like, what do you want to do i mean the choice was hey we can pull back continue to run a company that's that's your choice or we do the deal now the president who's been running the business for a number of years stays on in this case he is kind of still steering the ship to make sure that that business when it comes in is still profitable and they get paid out and that that was a decision they had to make now, we could recommend one way or the other, but look, you guys have got to make a decision. How do you want to move forward? And they chose to move forward. So it satisfied you know, both parties. Um, we had another deal um, a few years ago where the numbers just came in short, right? Uh, there were some production issues on the floor. Um, they couldn't get the product out. And the buyer was concerned that they were going to be not going to make the number right so same kind of situation it had nothing to do with in this case that the customer put them on hold is that there were some production issues internally uh they had a couple of machines down uh so their capacity you know uh to do the work dropped from you know dropped like 35 40 percent uh, they had to bring in someone to fix the machine. It took two months. They brought a new machine in on top of it, which was late. So it was just kind of all these little compounding issues that happened, real life stuff, right? It happens all the time. So the buyer's like, look, you got the work. Um, we're going to help you resolve some of your you know, production issues because we're going to bring some talent in to work with you on this to kind of streamline things. You got the new machine in, or even though it was three months late but it'll be up to capacity. Um, so look, we'll pay out what we have today. In this case, it was, uh, you know, it was a couple, $3 million of, of profitability that, or, or value, transaction value, that was kind of you know, pushed off into an earnout. But you know, the three, three separate partners, three separate families said, that makes sense, that's, that's realistic and acceptable. So in that case, we were able to work through um, the logistics and issues that transpired that happened every day in business to both parties' satisfaction. Again, it was totally open and communicative with the buyer. So they were kind of like a partner in us to kind of how are we going to make this work? And that was a, a win-win situation for both parties. Now, 
we have another deal that you know some of the trend lines you know even though their profits are good the unit sales so to speak are are down and even though from our you know seller perspective is like okay i'm making more money on this stuff even though i'm selling less of it so actually i'm a good it's a good thing right but the buyer looks at it and said well we're betting on the future and if your trend lines are down with this unit number so to speak you know we're concerned what's what the future hold because we want to take it from you know 5x to 15x you know in value so you know the jury's still out on it but you know we've kind of reworked the structure of the transaction from an owner ownership perspective so my client is much more committed from an equity perspective. Like I'm, I, look, I am confident we're going to do this, and I'm willing to put my cards on the table to show you we can do this. And I'm going to stay on over the next, you know, three to four years to prove we can do this. That gave the buyer additional confidence or renewed confidence. Okay, you know what? We're going to hook our, you know, we're going to hook our horses to your wagon because if you're willing to do that and you're committed to that, you know, we're, we're, we're coming along for the ride. Okay. So, but who would have thought that even though you're making more money and selling less would be an issue, but it was, but we found a solution. Now, again, my client was committed to it. I mean, the alternative was, I hear what you're saying. Let's. Let's wait six months. I'm going to show you what how I'm going to do this. Then we can re-engage. But the thought was what the buyer could bring to the table today versus six months or a year from now. The added value they can bring, the Rolodex they can bring, the financial strength they can bring was worth making that additional commitment from my, my client side. He, he bought into, you know what, this is the time to do it. Right? So we had options. Wait six months or a year to go back frankly, go back to market or work with these guys, this firm, who he had his, he liked, which is important and moving forward. So, you know, those, those are a couple of examples from a financial perspective. Um, you know, from a seller remorse, so seller remorse, we talked about that, right? Do I really want to do this? Um, if, and I'll give you a couple of situations, right? You know, and, and, we worked for the company a couple years back. Two brothers owned it, and they engaged us to sell. And we were like deep into due diligence. And you know, they they asked me to lunch one day, and and I went to meet with them, and we sat at the table, and I said, "Look, I'm sorry to tell you this, but you know, I'll call him, you know, Bill. It, you know, he doesn't want to sell." That's your prerogative, right? So, I mean, you know, it turned out that the older brother was committed to this. The younger brother didn't want to upset his older brother. So they really didn't talk about it. But at the end of the day, he said, I, I just can't do it. I want to continue doing what I'm doing. I'm not, I'm not in the same mind frame or age bracket that you are. And I got another five, six years of wind in my sales before I, I retire. Totally out of our control, kind of caught us by a bit surprised because you thought that everybody's in sync. But, you know, as you go through it, you know, the motions rise. 
And in this case, you know, the deal didn't get done. Uh, not because of anything, just just it personally just couldn't let go. So the other brother sold out to the younger brother, and you know that was that was the story in that one. Um, you know, another reason is, is from a seller's perspective is if you, if you don't test the market, if you don't do an auction, if you don't work with a firm like Osage, and, and is is this the right value? Right? Is this what I'm getting? Um, you know, we all have our network of friends and peers we work with. And there's a lot of quote unquote noise in the back. You're getting people calling you or, hey, you know, Jimmy, I did this and this is the value I got and don't watch out for this and be careful of this, which is all fine and dandy, but you know, their company's totally different. I mean, I can tell you, we've been in business for over 21 years now and we've never seen two transactions exactly alike. Everything has a different twist to it term to it, et cetera. They just don't, they're not the same. So when you're talking to a business owner, we, we just had it, we had it the other day um, with a client that we sold where we we're like literally the night before closing and I got a phone call at like 8.30 at night and our client was like, well, you know, you gotta, I told from my buddies, you gotta watch out for this. They're not gonna, they don't wanna pay the earn out. They don't wanna do this. And I said, why would they not want to pay you? They want you to earn the money, right? And if you earn the money, that's more value to them. It's a win-win for both parties. So, and I explicitly mentioned to our client that we covered this in the asset purchase agreement. And we said, this is the calculation for the earnout. But he wanted more comfort confidence in that so I, I was out to dinner when he called me i got home and I, I emailed the buyer and i put specific language that needed to be in an email it didn't have to be in a contract just you know these we were so far down the run just just please you know reinforce the fact that this is how it's going to work okay in this case it was uh, a thing where one of his buddies told me they're going to throw all a bunch of corporate overhead down to your business, so you'll reduce your profits and you won't make your earn out payment. And it was explicit in the agreement that that was not going to happen, right? I mean, black and white. But I asked a buyer, can you send an email? And he did. And then I got the email. I forwarded to my client. I got on the phone with him and I said, does this work for you? And he said, yes. And that was the night before closing. So, you know, sellers mainly are, you know, they're, they're, they're inundated with their family, their friends, their peers, right up to close about things they got to think about. And I always try to bring them back. We always try to bring them back. It's like, okay, what, what motivated you to come see us in the first place and what your goals objectives were? And if we have met those and you're comfortable with them, then things will work out. We move forward. If there's some concerns regarding those, then we should step back and wait. Right? It's got to feel right. It's got to work. We've talked about this many times before. But when it comes down to that sell remorse bucket, those are the type of things that are ongoing that need to be addressed um, to our client's satisfaction, which we did in this case. Now, 
We had another situation several years back where we were right there. Literally, I'd say a week from closing, my client called me up and says, I don't feel good about it. And I said, why? I said, because I think what I've learned from this transaction, I can put those in place and I can build my business by 25, 30% and make more money and go back to market down the road. And I said, if that's how you truly feel about it, then don't close. You know, again, we're relationship driven. We want to listen to our clients. We need to process internally and we need to have an open, honest discussion. So what did my client do? He, you know, we he called off the deal. He just didn't, he felt that he was shorting himself in value. He was young enough that he can put some more time into it. It didn't close. Out, nothing in our, nothing we didn't do wrong, right? And other firms too, they run through the same issue. That he just couldn't do it. He felt he could build his business based on what he's learned through his market analysis and, and build value and go to market in a future date, which is planned. So, you know, the other, you know, other one is really like time. We talked about time, right? right? Time can kill all deals, i.e. we've had two deals, you know, that still, one still on hold, you know, from COVID. Um, just industry they're in is, you know, it's taking a long time to come back. Uh, I mean, I was on the phone with a, uh, an equity fund. I think it was uh, either last week or the week before. They closed a deal in the hospi hospitality or leisure field, a big deal for them, the week before COVID, right? If for some reason things were to... Uh, and so the seller was happy. The buyer, you know, their things are coming back now, but they had to support this business. It was on life support for what, 18 months or so. If the seller for any reason uh, delayed things because of concerns that weren't properly addressed through the due diligence process, and it was one more week in a day, then nothing, it, would, it would have stopped the deal, right? The deal would have been done. And he would have been probably in a situation where um, he would have to go into his pocket to keep his, his company going. Obviously, there's government funding and everything else. But still, I mean, at his age, did he really want to be in a position where he had to basically refund his company to get him through God knows how long before the business came back? We had another situation, um, and it came down to like a, an environmental issue, right? And it's really important, especially manufacturing, of course, is that you know you address environmental issues head on. Um, we prefer prior to engaging with the buyer pool, so at least we have a phase one, so we kind of know the landscape. Uh, but we were in a deal where, um, unbeknownst to our client, unbeknownst to us, and unbeknownst to literally the Department of uh, Environmental Protection that there was an outstanding issue that was never closed from like 15 years ago under different ownership. And no one knows where the doc and the buyer who was a public company was not going to close in this transaction until there was some kind of resolution, right? So we had to go through uh, our, our, our lawyers, environmental team had to find someone they knew at the environmental protection to, to, to search us out. They found it in some box in the corner, just never got closed out. Okay. It wasn't a, it wasn't a huge issue, but it was important. The buyer is never going to put themselves at risk of environmental issues. So the solution was, is that, okay, we're going to set up an escrow. So we're going to put money in an escrow that we felt was more than adequate to cover 
if there was a cleanup issue with this um, outstanding, you know, unresolved uh, environmental uh, issue with the land. And the buyer and the seller agreed to it. Now, this didn't take like a week, right? This took like, delayed the closing for like two and a half months. So we closed on a Friday. On Monday, this public company gets a target hostile takeover offer from a bigger company. If it happened two days before, they would have dropped this thing like a rock and they would have focused totally on defending themselves, right? So we were very fortunate to come up with a solution between the buyer and the seller, set up the escrow, fund it with a dollar amount, and, you know, it worked out well. But if we didn't address it properly, if we didn't bring it to the forefront, if we didn't get everybody at the table working together to find a plan that would work for both parties, that would have would have killed the deal. It never would have closed. Um, you know, management. You know, we all work as family companies. Um, our clients, you know, have a typically have a management structure in place. Whether it's other family members, whether it's an outside uh, person who's at the COO or head of sales, things like that. So. The issue we ran into with the deal recently was that our client thought the, 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 the person that was going to take over for him was the right person. When we got into deep in due diligence, the buyer felt that they weren't. So they literally walked away from the deal, that we can't back this. If you're not going to be here, we can't back this, this guy. So we said, okay. So t clearly they weren't the right buyer. Because they didn't have they didn't have a team in place to replace this person, so we went back to market to a backup buyer, that was part of this process, and he had the skill set, he had the team in place that this was not a major concern. So we were able, even though the deal broke with one party, we found another party. Okay, those are the type of things that our job is to happen. You know, you know finally, I think the, th the key thing is transparency, right? Communication. You know, if you if Everybody, everybody's stressed. The seller's stressed. The buyer's stressed. Everybody's working under a lot of stress to get the deal done. There's been a lot of money, a lot of people involved trying to run your company, trying to get a deal done. The buyer, they report back to their own committee or, 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 or CEO, where we stand, where we stand, where we stand. So having an open line of communication is critical. I mean, I, I know, I'll just give you one quick example. We had a deal last year where I, I got an email at, you know, 6.30 in the morning saying, you know, how many... How many books do we put out and how many how many bids do we get? That's all it said. And, and we were supposed to close like on the next Wednesday, right? And so I knew my client had a bad weekend. He was unhappy about something. So I called him up immediately, like 7.30 in the morning, and I said, well, okay, what's what's going on? Well, they said they're going to do this and do that, and they didn't do it. I'm done. I said, okay, let me go back to them, right? So I called up the buyer, and I said, hey, my client's unhappy. You were supposed to produce this, this, and that, and you didn't do it. I said, you know, we took care of that on Friday. He said, well, you think you took care of it, but in his mind, you didn't. So my suggestion is call him right now and get it taken care of. So they put a call into him, and everything was fine two hours later. But that miscommunication, right, that's why we, that's part of our job is make sure that communication is open, honest, and continues to flow. Because if there's any miscommunication, misunderstanding, it could lead to the deal being, you know, collapsing and not closing. 
So that open communication transparency is critical, probably the most critical thing at all to getting a deal done. So again, here's you know the five buckets of why things don't get done. We talked about financial, sell remorse, time, lack of transparency, and management. But there are ways to satisfy both parties to get the deal done. And that's part of our job when we represent our clients. Um, my name is Keith D. I'm president of Osage Advisors. Uh, thank you for joining us today. Uh, you can visit Osage on our website at osageadvisors.com. Feel free to email me at kdee at osageadvisors.com or pick up the phone and give me a call anytime at 860-767-3273, extension 1001. Thanks, everybody. Have a great day.